Hanukkah. 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 You're listening to Hanukkah Podcast, highlighting citizen Potawatomi Nation issues, members, and more. Paige Willett and Adesh Nakas, Borewadme Ndao. I'm your host, Paige Willett, CPN tribal member and employee. Don't forget to subscribe, share, and rate us. This episode explores Potawatomi spring traditions, visits the Potato Dance World Championship, and shines a light on Epilepsy Awareness Day. Potawatomi recognized Minokme, or spring, as a time of plenty, when the snow began to melt after the harsh winter around the Great Lakes. After sub-freezing temperatures forced communities into smaller groups to survive, they returned to communal life. Citizen Potawatomi Nation's Cultural Heritage Center Director, Dr. Kelly Mosteller, talked to us about the season's moons and what they mean to the Nishnabe people. How was spring important to our ancestors? Well, spring, of course, just like it is for us, is sort of this period of reawakening. You know, things have, crops have, you know, starting to emerge and or be put into the ground. The snow is melting, plants are starting to pop up, and it was a time to sort of transition from our winter survival mode, where we often were following herds of hooved animals or in a, in a more sort of transient way of living during the winter, which you have to do when there's a lot of snow on the ground, moving back into our sort of long-term encampments where maybe moving back into a place where you already have a wigwam built, um, going back into, especially once the sap starts to flow, going to your sugar bush and settling in for the period of time that it takes to, to collect and process maple sap into maple syrup and maple sugar and all of the things that were used. So it was really a time of just transitioning from sort of that survival mode of winter into establishing yourself again and getting ready for that long period of, of planting and getting back together socially and engaging with your community in a different way than you do in the wintertime. One of the Potawatomi moons is the maple sugar moon. Uh, how was maple sugar so important to the Potawatomi? Well, it, it was a, an important part of our diet. I won't say a major food staple, um, not like wild rice or proteins that you get from large hoofed animals or fish or something like that, but it was an important part. Well, one, it tastes great. We used it as something that we could trade with other communities but it was also a time as a communal and a, and a spiritual purpose of bringing people together. You come back as a community to your sugar bush, to your stand of maple trees, and you process this this gift that the creator has given you. Just like, you know, a lot of families get together today and have holiday traditions. You maybe get together and make Christmas candy. You know, this is a food source that's available to us, and if it takes the community to come together to gather and collect and process and, and get it ready to have as something that we can use throughout the year. So there is, of course, the food element to it, but there's also the social and, and ceremonial element to it as well. You say ceremonial because it was a whole, there's a process. Absolutely. And you only have a certain amount of time during the you know, spring where this is possible, where the temperatures are high enough that the sap is running, but not so high that the sap starts to turn rancid on you. So you have this window of time to collect 
that sap as it drips into your bucket and then boiling it, that very slow, steady boil and remembering to stir it. And yeah, I think we've all experienced cooking with sugar and when sugar turns and burns on you, it happens very quickly. Um, How do Potawatomi celebrate the spring equinox? Well, I think that is really based on the community that you're in. A lot of communities will have a spring feast, you know, where people get together for the four days and have a fire in the morning and in the evening and have spirit meals and sing and have sweat lodges and things like that to to usher in this new season. Maybe if you don't have a community that has a tradition of having of continuing to hold that seasonal feast, maybe it is that the entire community goes out to the sugar bush and then comes back and works in the sugar shack, something that is more regional. You know, obviously we don't have maple trees down here in Oklahoma, but there are those communities are live in areas where there are maple stands and, and that's a big part of it. You have to think that not just the way our ancestors would have done it even, you know, 100, 200 years ago, but even 30, 40, 50 years ago, after long winters where it's hard to travel and it's hard to get out of your house and it's, you know, that the, the ability to finally get out and travel and, you know, maybe the kids are finally getting a little bit of a break from school and you can kind of come together. Spring is just a time where that has naturally occurred and it still is that way today. March is also called the suckerfish moon. What kind of you know, relationships do we have with the suckerfish, which, you know, includes several different kinds and types of fish, uh, I believe bass, salmon. You're getting to the time where the lakes are starting to thaw a little bit, and you're, you've gone from ice fishing to a new kind of fishing. You're going back to you know, more traditional fishing, whether it be night fishing with you know, your flaming basket on the front of your canoe to, to draw the fish in, or fishing from the bank. I think having March be that month is sort of that recognition of the thaw and changing that relationship with our food source. But, you know, fish were a huge part of our diet. Water and waterways were critical to every part of our life. It was our main mode of transportation. It was, you know, the home to our major food sources. It really shaped our existence. So I think having March, you know, recognized as Sucker Fish Moon is, is sort of honoring that relationship, not only with those fish Um, but also with the waterways that were so integral for both of us. It seems like there are uh, just lots of things associated with the land when it comes to spring. Absolutely. You know, plants are starting to wake back up. The berries are coming out. The bears are coming out of hibernation to eat the berries. Strawberries, in particular, ripen a little bit later in the Great Lakes region than they do here in Oklahoma. We start to see strawberries, you know, pretty early in the late spring, summer. So, you know, recognizing June, the height of berry season, it's, it's, it's nice because it's a time where they're everywhere. The strawberry just, it has that, it has a lot of meaning in our community, but that meaning is so layered. It's shape in the shape of a heart, the, the importance that it has for women, the importance that it does have back to some of our clan animals like bears. Um, you know, it just, it really, I think is, that visual cue that everything's alive again and everything is growing and abundance is everywhere and that the creator's providing. 
Find Citizen Potawatomi Nation's Cultural Heritage Center online at potawatomiheritage.com or follow it on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. March 26, 2022 is Epilepsy Awareness Day, and more than 51,000 Indigenous people live with the disorder in the United States, according to the Epilepsy Foundation of America. Epilepsy affects more than 3.4 million Americans, as reported by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, making it the fourth most common neurological disorder. Citizen Potawatomi Nation Health Services primary care physician Dr. Patrick Kennedy treats and guides patients as part of their team of doctors. He also assists the inpatient psychiatric hospital at Integris Mental Health Spencer in Spencer, Oklahoma. And a lot of these patients have um, ADHD and autism, and there are increased um, rates of, of seizures that are associated with that. So I get consulted a lot trying to figure out when do I need to send these patients to the pediatric neurologists. Much of the care surrounding seizures focuses on education, prevention, and safety. CPN tribal member and Neto family descendant Pam Vrooman experienced her first seizure at 24 years old. In her 60s, her proactive measures help her lead the life she wants. I meditate, I work out, I garden, I take baths in a hot tub, I have these little rituals around drinking tea. You know, I, I, those are really critical for me. They keep me on a fairly even keel and fairly resourced. Epilepsy is a neurological condition characterized by abnormal brain activity resulting in recurring seizures. The World Health Organization calls it one of the world's oldest recognized conditions with written records dating back to 4000 BC. The broad definition of epilepsy encompasses many types of seizures and responses of each patient. Dr. Kennedy explained how a change in blood flow to the brain affects the body's ability to regulate itself, especially with age. That's why epilepsy is oftentimes triggered in these states where you have low energy because the parts that are restricting and inhibiting those problems are no longer working. And then you have this unregulated electrical activity that can go on through the brain. You can pick that up. The American Association of Neurological Surgeons classifies seizures into two broad types generalized onset or focal onset, meaning abnormal activity is either widespread across the brain or in one limited area. Dr. Kennedy notes that each individual's episodes look physically different, some resulting in convulsions and spasms and others in blank stares or possibly lip smacking. People typically think of seizures as the, the generalized tonic-clonic seizures that um, you kind of think about it in movies, which don't even look like real seizures. <laughs> they, they look like psychogenic, not, not epileptic seizures, the ones in movies. Because it's really, you can't really, it's hard to fake. Vrooman mostly experiences tonic-clonic seizures, although they present themselves differently from what others might imagine. Sometimes I will seize up and be stiff as a board and people can't even bend my limbs. And I have to take people's word on it since I'm not really, <laughs> really around, but... Um, you know, I have them enough that they, they scare people, for sure. While epilepsy occurs at any age, it mostly affects children and those over 65. When talking with or referring a patient to a neurologist for further care, Dr. Kennedy focuses on safety during seizures. 
Some of his tips include not bathing or swimming without supervision for the risk of drowning and laying someone on their side to avoid aspirating after vomiting. He advises patients, friends, and family members against sticking anything in the mouth during a seizure. For patients 16 and older, restricted driving also presents issues. That's a huge one. Oftentimes, I, if, I, if I suspect a recurrent an epilepsy disorder, and I think that there might be a recurrent seizure, I really have to restrict their driving until they can get cleared by the neurologist. And the, the pretty standard recommendation is to have be seizure-free for six months uh, before people can start driving again, which can be very disruptive to, to people's schedules. Ruman lays on the floor if she feels one coming on and alerts anyone around her. You know, if I think I'm going to have one in my office, I have a whistle that I keep around me that's loud enough that anyone, any of my coworkers could hear me. So just come check. Dr. Kennedy also discusses with his patients what constitutes an epileptic emergency. While calling an ambulance during every seizure seems intuitive, they usually end before EMTs arrive. Typically, having seizures lasting over five minutes, that's a big, a big one, or ones that are unresponsive to um, anti-epileptic drugs in the moment. Knowing when to call 911 and when not to call 911. There's a lot of education that goes, so when, when someone gets diagnosed with epilepsy, they have to figure that out. Common triggers include lack of sleep, stress and anxiety, hormonal changes, flashing lights, skipping medications, and changes in blood sugar. Vrooman works to prevent these triggers through a number of daily practices. I, I don't really eat a lot of fast food or processed foods anymore. I drink a lot more water. I just really looked at general health stuff, and I'm trying to take that a lot more seriously. But the sleep was the main one for me. Maintaining a medication schedule often makes a difference in preventing breakthrough seizures. Dr. Kennedy talks to his patients about the importance of keeping in touch with their neurologist to adjust or change medications. He also suggests logging seizures in their frequency, length, and possible triggers to provide more information to help healthcare professionals better determine treatment and track progress. Charting exactly when do they happen, are there certain times of day that they happen, are there triggers that might you might associate with epilepsy, and are there certain foods that make it worse? Some people have issues with flashing lights that can trigger epileptic seizures. Um, and, and nutrition is another really big one that, that can play a big role as well. He often presents maintaining a ketogenic diet as a treatment possibility, which consists of animal-based, high-fat, low-carbohydrate foods. It was initially created in the 1920s prior to the availability of many anti-epileptic medications. Um, that was before we had really fairly effective medications, and for certain types of epilepsy, it can be pretty effective. And uh, I think there's lots of other benefits besides that. Um, and so that's something I've been recommending for my patients. Besides diets and medicines, neurologists sometimes recommend implants for their patients to help regulate their brain activity, including the vagus nerve stimulator. As one of the primary nerves through the body, the vagus nerve assists in the control of the heart, lungs, and digestive tract. With the advancements in treatment and understanding of the brain, doctors have more resources at their disposal than ever before to help epileptic patients live full, unrestricted lives. Learn more about epilepsy from the Epilepsy Foundation at epilepsy.com. Check out Citizen Potawatomi Nation Health Services at cpn.news backslash health. Ladies and gentlemen, Welcome to the first Americans Museum and the Potato Dance World!
The First Americans Museum in Oklahoma City hosted the first ever Potato Dance World Championship on February 12th, 2022. FAM Director of Learning and Community Engagement, Adrian Lolly Hills, said the museum wanted to bring Native humor to the forefront for Valentine's Day. We're using it as a humorous way to introduce um, Native people who might not be as culturally connected to their tribes um, and non-Native people who may have never been to one of our social dances or social gatherings. And so I figured, why not? Let's have it at First Americans Museum. Lolly Hills requested a donation of potatoes from Citizen Potawatomi Nation's Fire Lake Discount Foods for the event. FDF Director Richard Driscoll called it one of the most unusual appeals throughout his more than two decades with the tribe. It was a unique request to have that many potatoes for a dance competition. I've never heard about that before. It surprises me sometimes that I'm always learning about what Native American traditions and what they do. So um, learning about the competition and what the potatoes were going to be used for, it was, it, it was very unique, and I, I'm glad that we were able to donate toward the cause. Many powwows used the potato dance to give competitive dancers a break between songs and to provide another social dance for all attendees. Fun, lighthearted, and often funny, it requires two competitors to move to the beat with a potato between their foreheads. They cannot use their hands, um, and they have to keep dancing no matter what. The MC can make it harder um, by introducing uh, new challenges that make it increasingly more difficult. Dancing while waving your hands, dancing faster, dancing more vigorously, so on and so forth. Eventually, of course, that potato is going to slip and end up on the ground and be a smashed potato, um, which then disqualifies you. Lolly Hill said the museum introduced the World Championship Valentine's Day weekend to encourage couples to sign up, but potato dances mostly welcome any two people to participate as a team. If your relationship can withstand a potato dance, that, that bodes well for your future. Eight couples decided to put themselves to the test and signed up, including James and Jamie Yellowfish, who won the potato dance competition at the 2021 Thunderbird Intertribal Powwow. Oh, it's just, you know, we're hearing our songs, you know, and that's part of our culture, and it just brings you good feelings. Isabella Ayukle Cornell and her partner Jake Tiger also competed and made matching outfits for the occasion. While it was Tiger's first potato dance, Cornell had some experience. I was like younger whenever I did it, but it's just super fun. It's kind of like hard to stay focused whenever it's like right in between your eyes, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's we're, we're hoping for the best. <laughs> DJ Nemesis and the Thunder Boys drum group provided the music during the competition. The museum welcomed any visitors to sign up. The eight couples danced individually during the first round, and the judges, including music and comedy duo Mike Bone, evaluated their style and technique. The museum hosted a fancy dance demonstration in a break between the first and second round. FAM cultural ambassador and event MC Ace Greenwood spoke about the importance of hosting ceremonial, competitive, and social dances and their ability to bring Native people together despite a history of assimilation. Obviously this was a tactic. Obviously this was something important to Native American people, that family, that community. And so this is a huge part of what you see here. This is a very important part. 
All participants danced together for round two of the competition to see who could last the longest. Jordan Porman Cocker and Christopher Coate won the longest dance, defeating Mary Stimson and Goran Abdullah, a couple visiting from Seattle, Washington, who happened to come to the museum during their trip. Hundreds of spectators watched the two couples follow directions and dance for almost 20 minutes. Yeah, they were looking like they were professional. They, were professional. they, they prepared for that, and we were just before. we just got here, and they. They asked us, our friend says that, let's go join them, let's do the potato dance. Was, we didn't know even how is that looking like. In the end, the Yellowfishes held their winning streak and earned the title of Potato Dance World Champions, earning the most points for their style, technique, and time. Yeah, I felt amazing. Uh, I'm just glad and blessed to be here. While Cornell and Tiger failed to place, they still made memories and participated in a first-of-its-kind event. I think it's really good to bring everyone together and be able to um, do all these like fun things and different activities, get to know people, and just come out and have a good time. CPN and Fire Lake Discount Foods enjoy bringing the community together as well, and teaming up with a native-operated organization for Valentine's Day fun meets their mission. Um, we have a slogan that Fire Lake gives back. And we take that to heart, you know, people shopping with us and patronizing our stores allows us to, to generate funds that we're able to give back to the community. As for next year, Lolly Hills hopes the museum hosts round two. I think so. I think this is definitely worthy of an annual event so we can see if our, our current champions can keep the title next year. Find First Americans Museum online at famok.org or on Facebook at famokmuseum. Visit Fire Lake Discount Foods at firelakefoods.com and on Facebook at Fire Lake Foods. It's time for learning language when the CPN Language Department joins us to teach vocabulary, songs, stories, and more. In this segment, Department Director Justin Neely explains the seven principles of a good Nishnabe life. What I'm going to talk about today is um, there are these seven kind of principles or, or values that kind of go with living this traditional way of life. These Noak principles, these Noak principles of Nishnabe. Menop Madzawin, of living this, this good native life, or this good Potawatomi life. Noak principles of Nishnabe Menop Madzawin. Nishnabemwin, or you could also say Bodewadmimwin. Nishnabemwin is our original way of speaking, which allows us to process and express our thoughts. It is our way of communicating with creation, with spirit, and with one another. Nishnabemwin, that's that word for our for our language. This is our Potawatomi language. You can say Nishnabemwin or you can say Bodewadmimwin. But that M at the end, that M comes from uh, Mo, which indicates speaking or making a sound. So when you say Nishnabemmo, it means talking Potawatomi or talking Indian. And then that win at the end kind of makes it into a, a noun, if you in a sense. So Nishnabemwin, that's our, our Potawatomi language or Bodewadmimwin. Nishnabe Nadzawan. Nishnabe Nadzawan is our original behavior, values, way of life, and being Nishnabe in the fullest sense. The development of the highest quality of Nishnabe personhood connected to the earth and relation to all creation. 
And then Nishnabe, that word Nishnabe, that's our original word for ourselves. Um, a lot of tribes have a word that, that they are known by. You know, we're called Potawatomi, we're known as Potawatomi, but Nishnabe is our own word for ourselves. Um, that word Nadzawan, Nadzawan, um, it has that odd in there. That odd has to do with life, kind of that life force, that life essence. And that in at the front kind of indicates living in a particular way. So when you say Nishnabe Nadzawan, it means in a way living that that traditional, that Potawatomi way of living, that Potawatomi way of life, if you will. Nishnabe Nindamoan. Nishnabe Nindamoan is our original way of thinking, our way of perceiving and of formulating thought, resonating from our Nishnabe beliefs and fundamental truths. Nishnabe Nindamoan is our Nishnabe philosophy and worldview. Now, Nindamoan, that's the way that we think. Nindam is to think. Nindamoan is is our thought process. So what we're saying here is this would be a traditional way of thinking, the way that we see the world around us, you know, the way that we that we value ourselves as a part of creation but no bigger or better than other items in creation. You know, our stories, our, our legends, our history, all of that kind of that makes up how we see the world as Nishnabe people. And the reason that that Nishnabem, when that, that language is first, is because that's kind of that, that first central feature of of how we see the world and how we live and, and interact in a, in a Potawatomi worldview, if you will. Nishnabe Kendaswan. Nishnabe Kendaswan is our knowledge and way of knowing. It is the body of knowledge that informs us of our origins, our way of life, our way of being, and our worldview. So kind of going hand in hand with that way that we think that Nishnabe Kendaswan is kind of the way that we know the world, how we understand it, how we understand uh, our place in, in creation and how we understand our teachings, you know, whether they be the seven grandfather teachings or also understanding some of our history and some of our prophecies like the seven fires prophecy and some of those things is kind of built inside of that, that Nishnabe Kindas one. But even just our knowledge of our of our ceremonies and knowledge of our songs and those type things would also fit inside of this Nishnabe Kindas one. Nishnabe Zichkewen. Nishnabe Zichkwin is our Nishnabe way of doing things. It is our way of taking action with the life skills we need as Nishnabe people to live effectively in the world and contribute to building quality of life and quality of community. That word Zichkwin, that's talking about doing something or acting in a certain way. So Nishnabe Zichkwin is acting as a Potawatomi, doing things as a Potawatomi. So this might be something like, you know, paying attention to the stars and, and acknowledging when we do certain plantings and paying attention to the moons and knowing, hey, this is the month that we would do maple syruping if you lived up north, or this is the month where we would pick strawberries, um, or kind of looking at the seasons and understanding those things. Or even something as simple as putting down tobacco, you know, taking our semar tobacco and offering tobacco when we when we pick a plant from nature and we that we're going to use, whether it be a medicine plant or just a plant that we plan on eating, and having respect for the way that we walk our, our life and how we live our life. And I think it also relates to, in a way, you know, when people want to find that sense of identity about being Potawatomi, you know, how do I do that? How do I understand? You know, by walking in the ways of our ancestors and, and doing these things, you will start to see the world in a different way, the same way that thinking in that more traditional way will come about that way. And it all kind of starts out and kind of stems from that, from our language as kind of that central starting point in a lot of ways. Nishnabe in Windowin. 
Nishnabe in Windowin, is our way of relating to the Spirit, to each other and all of creation. It is an all-inclusive relationship that honors the interconnectedness of our relations and recognizes and honors the human place and responsibility within the family of creation. Now this is talking about this Nwinma or Nwinde is talking about how we are related to one another, how we are related to not only each other, but how we're related to the earth. I mean, you could also use that word Jaganaganan here in talking about all of our relations, you know. But it's it's how we interact with one another. I mean, our family structure is a lot more in-depth than maybe in English. In English, if you were to say, hey, this is my cousin, for example, I might then have to go, oh, is that on your mother's side or your dad's side? Or is this your uncle on your mom's side or your dad's side? But based on the word that you use in Potawatomi, you already know which side that person's on. You know, that's your uncle on your dad's side or, or, or your aunt on your dad's side or aunt on your mother's side. And also the concept that relative terms are possessed in Potawatomi, possessed in the sense that, you know, it's my grandmother, it's your grandmother, it's their grandmother, it's our brother, you know, your brother, his or her brother. You just didn't have random individuals kind of roaming into your villages in the past. They they were someone's, even friends. I mean, this is so-and-so's friend. Even the way that we talk about the earth a lot of time, we talk about in more of a relational sense. You know, we talk about Sagamakwe, Mother Earth, or we talk about Nokmas Kignan, our grandmother Earth. And even some of the elements outside of that we look at like that. When we talk about the moon, Debuckizis, sometimes we'll refer to the moon as Nokmas or grandmother. And there's often stories and things that relate some of these these different elements in nature directly to us and as a part of us, whether it be the origin of like the the cedar tree or things like that. They're kind of indately uh, inside of that understanding, if you will. And finally, Gadakimanan, Gadakimanan, which relates kind of to what I was just talking about, and that's our land or our connection to earth, you know. Gatakimanan is, you know, our connection and relationship to land and all of creation. It is the experience of knowing and understanding the relationship that exists throughout creation, understanding your own role and responsibility in this relationship. This connection is the primary shaper of Nishnabe identity, and it is this total relationship with creation that informs our environmental ethic. Now, this what it's talking about here is, you know, in the past, you know, we would move from area to area. We'd have like a spring camp and we'd have a winter camp. We did that because we didn't want to take all the resources in a particular area. We didn't want to overhunt. And we didn't take the things that we didn't need. You know, we didn't stockpile hundreds and hundreds. We didn't kill everything off on an area and then try to freeze it or, or keep it for a long period of time. Yeah, we, t- we kept some that would get us through the winter time, but we didn't take more than was necessary. You know, we understood the earth. We understood the relationship that we have with the earth and, and the fact that we also didn't never value the concept of like hoarding. A lot of times some of the, the, the poorest people in a village sometimes were your leaders. Sometimes your chiefs and things were actually very poor uh, in a sense of like they didn't possess a lot because they gave it away. You know, it, and it's never been seen with Anishinaabe people to accumulate too much of anything. If you have a lot of something you know, it's best to give it away. They say when you give things away, they come back often two, threefold, you know. So never think about, oh, if I give this away, what if I don't ever get another one? Eh, that's okay, because it's going to come back around. There's a, and that goes into that Nishnabe Nindawan, that way of thinking and way of understanding the world. And all of these concepts and principles that are all kind of interrelated in that sense, you know. But again, in my opinion, you know, that the piece that really kind of ties it all together is our language, because inside of our language you see 
what was important to our ancestors and what continues to be important to us as traditional Potawatomi people. So, how? For more information and opportunities with language, including self-paced classes, visit cpn.news backslash language. You can find an online dictionary at potawatomidictionary.com, as well as videos on YouTube. There are also Potawatomi courses on the language learning app, Memrise. Hanukkah Podcast is produced and brought to you by Citizen Potawatomi Nation's Public Information Department. Our director is Jennifer Bell. Please share the show with your friends and family members. You can find CPN on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search Potawatomi. Visit us on the web and find digital editions of the tribal newspaper at Potawatomi.org. That's P-O-T-A-W-A-T-O-M-I dot org. Thank you, friends. See you later.